everybody. I believe we are live coming to you. Uh, this is a, a triple cast, but also a dual cast in the sense that I am here in Los Angeles and Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham are still stuck in Austin, Texas. But we are doing this live show, uh, hopefully going better than what we tried on Thursday because I'm in the main studio. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are on Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook today monitoring your comments. So make sure you get those questions in and we'll be sure to answer them. Now that we're around 24 hours away from the loss, what are your guys' general thoughts about uh, the game? Uh, so if you couldn't hear us before, uh, in general, different. I was Shaco's in the press box. He's normally on the field. I'm normally in the press box. I was actually in the stands in the very last row of the 103,507-seat stadium, uh, which was very interesting to kind of see from a different point of view. Uh, it was packed. Uh, it was a very different experience, I think, you're kind of seeing a game like that. And I feel like USC did a nice job early on of taking the crazy Texas crowd out of the game. And they did that. And then it all kind of fell apart after that. When you get off to a great start, obviously, when you have a big stadium, that's a huge thing because you take out the fans, you get them to just kind of quiet down, and you felt kind of like a whoosh come out of the fans when they scored that second touchdown. Yeah. 14-3, Texas has been struggling the last year and a half under Tom Herman, up and downs. You feel like, oh, here we go again as a Longhorn fan. And instead, they throw a third and four. They were able to pick up a, what, 43-yard touchdown, I think it was, to little Jordan Humphrey. And suddenly, back in the game. Right. Crowd comes back alive. That was a huge spark. Yeah. Instead of, like, forcing them to work their way down the the field, they gave up a, you know, missed tackle. They were able to run into into the end zone. They build off that. They get the fourth down stop later. USC gets the the kick, the penalty on the punt block. All of a sudden, things start rolling in Texas' favor. Even though that drive didn't lead to a score, it led to extra field position, which led to their eventual – field goal at the end of the half gives them a lead going to the half that's huge because yeah. then you go in the half you start you know talk about it as USC you're like hey we played really well in this first quarter we're still down now you start worrying about what's going on uh, I, I think that the way that the game progressed in that second quarter set the table for what would happen in the second half yeah we're also just coming off of Helton's uh, press conference that he has on Sunday, uh, his conference call. The biggest news coming out of that is kicker Chase McGrath is out for the season with an ACL tear. Uh, that was a non-contact injury, so that's a little weird, a little bad luck for Chase there. Uh, you had to feel bad for him. I actually was there on the sideline when he was carted off, uh, and he was just full on tears. You could tell he was in a lot of pain, and I think I knew that at that point that it didn't look good for him for the rest of the season. But what else came from Helton's conference call? Uh, from an hour ago. Yeah, so that, that's one thing we didn't have on our emergency podcast. We got to hear Clay Helton uh, about an hour ago. And, you know, it's really unfortunate with Chase McGrath uh, being out for the season. You saw that play. If you don't remember, it was the, the field goal, the 50-yard field goal that got blocked. And then he's basically running in the other direction, trying to catch up with uh, the Texas return man who's, you know, uh, bringing the ball to the house and they were scoring a touchdown there. It looked like he was about to get blocked but really didn't and just kind of fell down. It was like, it's kind of like he's turned one way and then the other, he fell down. And then, uh, you know, where you could sit, you could tell something was wrong where he hurt his knee. So unfortunate for him. And he's been like probably one of the lone bright spots on USC special teams uh, all year. So they've been pretty bad. And without Chase McGrath, I'm not sure where they're going to go. Um, really, uh, you know, Clay Hilton said he went back and watched the tape for all three games. 
Uh, he went back and saw not just the Texas game, but went Stanford and uh, wanted to figure out kind of what they you know have to do. He felt that the team still plays with a lot of heart and a lot of effort. Um, and just the, he thought that the players were working really hard, but it was some of the technical stuff. Um, and he put a, he put that on himself that they have to do better. He mentioned a lot of the buzzwords like the uh, situational mastery and things like that. So that was one of the things he kind of brought going back and watching tape. Dan Weber asked him some interesting questions, specifically what, you know, when you talked to Aka Cedric Ware about and uh, when you were in that scrum and Aka Cedric Ware said, uh, was asked, I think, was it, it might have been Dan that asked him the question about preparing and maybe, you know, running more goal line and stuff in practice. And he had said that they had lazy practices for the last two weeks. They needed to work harder. Um, and then when Clay Elton was asked about that specifically, he kind of changed it a little. And I want to get your comments on this, Keely, where he said, I think he was talking about last Thursday where we didn't have like the crispest, uh, crispy, you know, whatever, crispiest, the most crisp <laughs> offensive practice, uh, crispy practice. And, with, you know, so he said, I addressed the team and we took care of it. I, that did not seem, I watched the, the, the video, that did not seem to what Aka Cedric Ware said. I don't know if you want to comment on that or Shotgun or Keeley. With all due respect, that's a bunch of baloney from Clay Helton. I mean, <laughs> that, I was there, said brought it upon himself to talk about practice as a whole. It all started when, uh, actually, Dan Weber asked him, do you guys feel like you practice red zone enough and full pads? Do you feel like on that fourth and one where you guys prepared to execute that play? And said's response was, we need to get, we need to practice better, period. And then he went into this whole thing about it. In his opinion, practice this uh, last week was lazy and slow. He said there was no fire, no determination. Um, and he didn't shy away from asking, from talking further about it when people started asking. Someone asked, is it a coach's thing? Is it a player's thing? And he says, it's on the players. The players aren't aren't doing enough at practice. They're not paying attention to the little details. They're not, they're not um, uh, looking at film enough to know what to fix. So it was, it was, a, a rare glimpse into some honesty because as we mentioned earlier uh dan asked clay does anything need to change as far as practice goes and helton said no and then you have said come out here and say yeah it does and then he even brought it up on himself when he said even going into stanford stanford week practices weren't good so for clay to come back and say oh this was a thursday uh he was specifically talking about thursday one Thursday was never mentioned. He never said the word Thursday. Two, it's convenient that Helton is saying this when it's a practice that we can't see. So as reporters, we can't say, hey, you know what? Maybe said was talking about Thursday uh, and, and he has a point. And we can't refute it either. Like, oh, Thursday was actually good and Helton is not uh, saying the truth. So it's just, to me, it's a lot of spin. It's a lot of, complete spin. yeah, complete spin. And it was just not good. Not good yeah. at all. I, mean, I think Akacetric Ware was honest. And Clay Helton can't have, I mean, not that he wants that out there, but he wants it to be, hey, we're going to be one unit, one team. And he's going to, I, th I think he might fix it behind the scenes, but he's not going to come out and say, yeah, we had crappy practices for two weeks. Yeah. So it, it was really spin in that regard. Uh, you know, it's something we're starting to see kind of continually with Clay Helton. We've seen it in a couple other press conferences. You know, he's just kind of avoiding some of the hard questions and going with, you know, he, he points to the positives when he has the opportunity. You know, well, well, who's not really playing up to their potential? Well, this person is playing up to their potential. This person is really playing well. That's not the question that was asked, but that's what he said in the post-game conference yeah. the other day. I think that's becoming more of a common theme, and that's kind of concerning, uh, or disconcerting, excuse me, uh, because if you want real answers, you're getting something else other than the questions that are asked. 
I know people get on us all the time. Like, you got to ask harder questions. Well, when we ask them, this is what you're kind of getting. So yeah. sometimes we ask questions to actually get quotes and stuff for stories we're working on. Sometimes you ask questions to see what the you know environment is. And you know from some of the questions and answers we got after that game and today, you got to be you got to feel a little worried about uh, where this coaching staff is at. Yeah. I asked Dan this in his analysis last night, uh, but what purpose do you think it serves Clay Helton and staff to die on this hill as far as practices are going well, we don't need to change anything, and then to cover up for what said said, what is that? How does that benefit anyone in that sense? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question because you you wonder what the motivation behind it is. I, I was watching uh, the Urban Meyer interview with uh, I think it was Tom Rinaldi from ESPN. Is that right? I hope I got that. Um, and, you know, he was defending his uh, assistant coach and didn't fire a coach that he should have for like kind of strange reasons. And you don't really know why it's, it's there's, I think there's some part of coaches that can be very stubborn and they make decisions just like our fans on the message board. They make a choice at one point where they said, oh, I love Clay Helton or I hate him. They're going to defend that to the death. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's like, they can't change their mind. And I feel like coaches can get like that sometimes that this is what we decided to do. If I change it, that I'm admitting that I'm wrong. You know, it's something like that to me. So they want to do situational mastery on Thursday and they want to do uh, no pads November. And they want to do, you know, and it's like, you're making, you're just, you're telling people that, Hey, our philosophy before was wrong because we're changing it now. And I don't think you need to look at it that way. I just, I, I love, I mean, Coach Harvey Hyde's a older coach. He's been around a long time. Some people feel he's like a too much of a get off my lawn kind of guy. But I love the fact that he would come in and say, if he saw something weird at practice and they're not doing something right, he would change it right then, like start doing this. And it might be the weirdest thing ever, but it would be, it would shake things up and you get the attention of these 18 to 22 year olds. And I, I kind of feel, Keely, it's just more about, they made this decision and they don't want to be wrong. So they're not going to go back and, and change it, even though it would be better for the program. It would be better for his, you know, potential, you know, future as a USC head coach. Yeah. It, you know, in coaching in a lot of ways, uh, and the same with a lot of ways of uh, life, a lot of walks of life, if you don't adapt, you're going to suffer the consequences. Yes. I mean, the, the saying is adapt or die as a coach. If you do not adapt to how the play, you know, the playing field is changing you know, whether it be the rules, whether it be, you you know, all teams are using spread now when everyone used wing T and I formation and wing, wishbone a long time ago, your program is going to fall behind. You are going to be knocked off as one of the preeminent uh, programs and you're going to die as one of those preeminent programs. And that's what it feels like. Is they're like, oh, well, these things worked before. <laughs> they don't have to work now, right? Right. And no, they're not. Make some changes. You know, and that's, the thing with the practice schedule, the practice performance, it's not working. Make a change. Something has to change. Whatever you're doing, you may think this is the greatest, the greatest. Bill Belichick might have wrote this down and said, this is the greatest plan ever. <laughs> but then you, when you use it and you go, you know, it's not working for right. us. Something's wrong. We got to do something. Right. We're not executing it right. Like, Well, well then change something. something wrong. Yeah. If you're not executing right, then something has to change. You can't say, well, we'll get better next week. No. Change something to force yourself to get better at something. Now, it doesn't have to be this one particular play. It, doesn't, it needs to be something. There has to be a change enabled to, uh, enabled to exact some change in another way because otherwise you don't get the same results, and that's what we've seen. Yeah. 
Uh, one last thing before we get into questions. I know people are kind of clamoring for us to start answering them. Yeah, and make sure you put your questions in because we're getting just a lot of frustration comments. Um, as far as Shotgun, I know you were in the press box, so you got a better view than you usually do on the field. What happened uh, once Port Augustine was ejected? How did USC make up for the loss of Port Augustine? So when Port Augustine went out, USC started using some some of the younger guys with Hunter Eccles and Kanai Monga as well. But they also tried to use Christian Rector on one side and Jordan Iasefa on the other, You know, which is basically what they switch in and out when, depending on what they want, whether they want a pass rusher in uh, Christian Rector or they want somebody that can fall back a little bit in the linebacker role at Jordan Iasefa. But when they did that, that makes you a little bit light on, on both ends. So instead of having a guy that can control the edge and the other guy that's a pass rusher or can you kind of give you some versatility on the other edge, make sure a little light on both of them. You know, Texas kind of attacked the offensive line uh, or defensive line of USC in that second half. And I, I think you saw guys wear out. Uh, you know, Marlon Tupelotu was in there a lot with Brandon Peely kind of banged up and not playing probably not more than 12 plays of defensive snaps. You know, some of those guys in the interior – uh, they were playing a lot of snaps because of how Texas was kind of using that up-tempo. And I think that's what you saw. You saw USC start to wear down, especially after Porter left. I know some people in the press box were very upset with Porter controlling the edge. And he didn't control the edge on a couple of plays, but he also had two sacks yeah. in the game. Uh, he was USC's – I think he ended up still USC's second-leading tackler in the game. Yeah, I think, though, uh, I think it was uh, Cameron Smith and then with, him, nine, think, with nine solo tackles. Like, he had no assists. He was at nine solo tackles. Which also tells you that USC is not getting to the ball enough in, in some situations there. But uh, I think Port Augustine finished second with seven tackles combined, uh, tied with someone else. But the fact that he didn't play a quarter and a half and he's still your second leading tackler tells you he's doing some things right. Now you have to bring in some younger guys, kind of you know, kind of get them in there and kind of bridge the gap. And they suffered a little bit, and that's kind of what you expect when you lose, you know, a, a vet senior on the outside. You're gonna you're gonna expect he's gonna take a little bit downward. Uh, downward trend of the defense as well, especially at that position. So I think that's what you saw in that area. But I think the coaches were kind of happy with those young guys and what they perform, how they performed, uh, even though they, they were thrown into an uh, unenvious situation. Yeah. Defensively, it was all right. Like, it wasn't the best performance, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, it's hard when the other two uh, aspects, you know, fail so poorly, you know, minus five rushing and then as big of a special teams disaster as you would want. So... We have a question from Roger who says, obviously this game didn't do anything for the Pac-12 uh, standings, but what does it mean for USC to get embarrassed on a national stage again? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing is always, all oh, the goals are still there. You want to win the Pac-12 South, and the Pac-12 South looks like butt right now. So, I mean, that, that's certainly still a winnable goal. But what fans care about, I mean, if you would have seen this trip, so Keely, you were here, Shotgun, you were here. We had that huge event on on Friday, we had probably 250 to 300 fans show up at our happy hour party. Like there were people out here in force. They were everywhere. We flew out on Wednesday. There were people on our flight. People are still around. Like they were coming in the entire time. This was a big deal for a lot of USC fans. And to look that poor, it just doesn't make them feel good. They don't want to go on the next trip. So I'm, yeah, of course the goal, if you want to win the Pac-12, that's not a way. Now the, the playoff goal is gone all that kind of stuff. They, they're going to have to do some kind of crazy run like they did in 2016 to make fans feel better if, if it's going to happen at all. But I really think where you're losing it is the big marquee games, what people care about, the USC fans care about beating Notre Dame and beating Texas and Ohio State. 
and they're not doing that. So I, I think it doesn't hurt your goal if you're trying to win the Pac-12, but the main goal, you're not going to keep fans happy losing these marquee games by double digits. What does it mean? It means it's a trend. It's something we've seen now several times in a row with their non-conference when you have a big game, whether it be Notre Dame, whether it be Texas, whether it be uh, Ohio State in the bowl game. USC doesn't come, you know, doesn't come prepared to play, uh, doesn't come ready to deal with adversity, doesn't come ready to make adjustments in the game to be able to give them a chance later in the game. It's a trend right now. Yeah. Alejandro says, can you confirm where Kenichi Udezi was during the game? Could have swore I saw him on the sideline. You are correct, Alejandro. He was on the sideline for uh, Saturday's game. And I think that was the first time he was ever on the sideline. And that's something that Kenichi has actually talked about before. Uh, he wants to be on the sideline. I don't think we had an indication that this change was going to happen for this game. Um, but he was on the sideline. So that's something at least uh, positive for at least the coaching staff. Because that seems like Kenichi got what he wanted in that sense. Is it positive you still lost by 23 points? <laughs> Maybe they're yes. listening. It did seem like it would make more sense to have him uh, there. And I think when we talked to, um, uh, I think it was actually Coach Harvey Hyde who talked about it. He's like, I've never seen having a defensive line coach up in the press box. And then, you know, I think there were some aspects where he sees the field really well. And that's like he's, he's a benefit to Clancy Pendergast when he does that. But uh, I think the situation ends up being he's probably better motivating his guys on the field. Um, Keiston, I think that's the same, says, what was the sideline like during the game while it was slipping away? Keely, did you see anyone fired up or any emotion being displayed while the game was still in the balance? I thought it was really interesting after seeing how dead USC was at Stanford. The team was very fired up and fired up uh, during warm-ups. And for them to come out and silence a record 103,000 crowd, to me, I was like, okay, maybe this team is turning a page. Maybe they like being an underdog in this sense. And maybe this could be a turning point where they silence this huge crowd and on an away, tough away game. And maybe they go and, and use that towards the Pac-12 South and their schedule. But as the game started to slip away, as those momentum-changing things happened, it just it became Stanford again where the team just died. Um, as I was walking around the sideline, I saw one of the special teams guy kind of going through the bench and trying to be like, come on, guys, we're still in it. We're still in it. And this was towards the end of the third quarter. And one of the players pushed him and said, get out. Like, don't, don't talk to us. And so, one, and then an, another teammate was like, hey, calm down. Like, don't do that. But, I mean, it was a younger guy who pushed the special teams guy. So maybe this is a young thing. But for to have that kind of sideline strife where some guys are trying to pump the team up and some guys are just already out of it, um, it just wasn't a good look. And maybe that was just a weird moment that I happened to see as I was passing the sideline. But it definitely was not a good look uh, to see. Oh. Yeah. Well, you weren't on the sidelines. You didn't see it. A lot different this game. Yeah. It's a little different. I mean, it was hard to tell from where I was about the energy, <laughs> but it did seem like there was some good energy early on, but then not so much later. Yeah, it was, it was very flat at the last five minutes when we could go down on the field. Um, sorry, still looking for a question. Lots of rants. Um, a lot of rants. A lot of rants. I'm trying to filtering through. Uh, Scott says, what was the O-line's attitude? Was Neil Calloway engaged uh, with coaching them up during the sideline? Um, 
Neil Calloway was kind of how he always is. He kind of goes in uh, right after they come back to their little sideline. He'll talk to them for a little bit. Um, but they're a pretty low-key group. Uh, they kind of just sit there. Not a lot of communication. The interesting thing I saw was Jack Sears actually came over and kind of talked to each one of them and tried to high-five them. Um, I did see Vivai Malapai come over sometimes and talk to uh, Andrew Voorhees. I think that was especially after a, a play blew up on that side where they were both supposed to block. Um, but it it's the same thing we usually see from the O-line, which is a very relaxed group. Um, not very uh, together in that sense. Um, so whether sideline chemistry and, and attitudes need to change going forward, I think that's definitely something that USC should look at. Um, but Shaka, normally what do you see from the O-line during a game? Usually they're just very communicative with each other. And, you know, they talk with each other. What was this going on? What was going on? You know, uh, Neil Calloway will come over and the first thing is, Whenever there was a blitz or something, what did you see on this? What did you see on this? You know, where were they coming in? Which gap? That type of thing. So they're very uh, methodical as far as trying to figure out what the issues are. But there's not the rah-rah. That's not there. That's something that has been lacking from this offense for a while. And, you know, Toa Lobanon is a leader by example. He's not going to do that. So he said after the Stanford game that, uh, his teammates would think that it was it was pretty fake if he did that. So someone else has to do that if they want someone to come in and be like, "You got to get in check. You got to get in check. You yeah. got to get in check." You know, if somebody needs to call somebody out, but it's not going to be any of those veteran guys in the offensive line. Chuma Noga is the is the emotional one of the group, but that's also not what what he does either. So no, it's funny. So Clay Hilton on his conference call was asked about, "Hey, is there?" He was asked about like who, you know, should be the senior leaders or who's stepping up. And he, he kind of mentioned who should be, but it wasn't really like who is. And they were like, well, who can do that? And he had mentioned the three guys on the offensive line, you know, Chris Brown and uh, Chuma Doga and Toa Lobendon, but that's just not their personality. Like they're, they're not doing it that way. So I'm not, I'm not really sure. I know we had someone on the Peristyle posting. He was sitting right behind them and it just didn't look like, it looked like everything was, was kind of flat and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what you expect. Uh, there's just not someone in there that's this fiery, emotional person that's going to get up and lead everybody like that. They just they don't have that guy. And um, yeah, we'll see. And that's something that Aka Cedric Ware brought up unprompted, that there's no offensive leader and there's no one to really get those guys going. And I think having that confirmation from said was at least a better inside look because before we were just speculating. Maybe there's a guy in the locker room that we can't see who's firing guys up. But said said there's not a guy doing that. And he said, I'm determined to find one and also be one. So yeah. at least he's acknowledging the problems and trying to find a solution. Uh, shout out to Paul who labeled his question as question. He says, in my opinion, the strength and conditioning is also an issue. Teams like Ohio State and Texas and many other Power 5 physically uh, conferences physically look so much stronger and bigger. Joel Klatt on the TV said, scouts before the game were wowed by Texas Texas from the look test perspective. We looked really soft physically against them. Is the work being done in the weight room? We can't see the weight room. We don't really know. I'm no expert on, yeah, this guy's a great strength coach or not. And we get that a lot. It, if you're winning, no one would ever say that. If you're losing, it's just one of the kind of excuses. Now, we've seen stuff at pro days where they look a lot different a couple months later and stuff. It's it's hard to say, but I, I would not – I don't feel expert enough to comment on, oh, yeah, they're doing uh, – they should be doing more, you know, military press or so. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, the question you have to ask is, are they getting ragdolled? You know, is the offensive lineman just getting thrown out of the way? Usually in the case, 
they have the ability to block other people. They have the ability to get by other people on defense. So maybe strength and conditioning plays a part and it keeps them from getting by somebody in that 0.2 seconds quicker than they need to do something. But the question goes back to the offensive line. That's where the, the problem is. The offensive line, are they strong enough? That's what everybody really wants to talk about, not the defense. It's the offensive line. And is the offensive line blocking? It's not to do with their strength. They're letting guys run free. That doesn't have to do with how strong you are. You can have, you know, the giant dude that was from Baylor a couple of years ago. doesn't matter. If you're just not going to touch them at all, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Alex says, do you think Clay has the ability to turn this season around, or is it too far gone? I mean, he's, yeah, he does because he's done it before. Um, the only problem is, and Shaka and I talked about this on our emergency podcast, uh, in 2016, you had a magic bullet. You had you were starting the more senior quarterback who's been around for a while, and you had the young freshman who could come in and save the day. You start off with the young freshman that can save the day. So there's really no there's no like you know do you feel kind of like we're going to switch to Matt Fink and it's going to be this crazy thing or or Jack? I mean, you could potentially with Jack Seard or something. I don't know, but um, you can't do that now. So. I think it would be a much harder to turn this around. Um, the way the Pac-12 South is looking, you could beat anyone in the South easy. I mean, it's not, you know, uh, it's not like you can't do it still, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher. And I think he does, like Shotgun said, he's going to have to do something differently. Like, he made a big change in 2016. I'm not sure what kind of change he can make now um, that he's willing to make uh, that he would that would make some some big difference. Yeah, he has the potential, but are you going to make that change? The quarterback one was easy previously. Yeah. Sam Darnold looks really good. Max Brown's not moving the ball as well as we want to, and we're already using Sam Darnold in the game plan. Yes. Let's make this change. And there was a lot of confidence even after he lost the Utah game in the locker room. They're like, well, he's going to get better. That's how we're going we're gonna to improve the season. Well, JT Daniels will improve as the season progresses. But is that enough? You've already started three games. It's not like you're making that switch. I think there has to be change elsewhere. You have to make some changes on with special teams, the office line or something. Something has to be done in those two areas in particular to be able to uh, improve this team because right now those two areas are really lacking behind. Yeah. What do you make of – not to blow – Akaseta Guerre's uh, comments out of proportion, but what do you make of him saying those things and then Helton coming back and, and refuting it? Is that a sign of Helton starting to lose the team a little bit or them not at least not being on the same page? I think the fact that you heard that from Akaseta Guerre probably means that there's more going on behind the scenes. That's not, you know, that's, that's nothing that just pops up. Like there's some accusation comes up of something you've never heard about. There's probably a lot more behind the scenes you're going on. So I would have assumed there's talk uh, behind the scenes. Maybe they need some kind of player-only meeting, but you don't have that vocal leader who's going to follow in. You know, if if you have, if Ocasek Wears is a senior and he hasn't been doing it yet, it might be hard for him to, to get on board and people start following, you know, four years into his tenure. But I think it's more about, yeah, there's probably stuff going on uh, behind there. And it could be a positive thing where – Clay Helton knows it now, and he re it's like, okay, this is real. This is worse than I thought. I'm going to cover this. Not cover it up, but I'm going to, like, spin this, and we're going to go back and fix it. And if he's doing that, I think Akasajic Ware's comments probably did their job. You know, he got changed to happen. If Akasajic Ware's comments came after Clay Helton said, oh, we practice fine and stuff, then I think it would have more weight. 
because it would be like, oh, he's refuting what Clay Helton said. Then you would say, oh, maybe Clay Helton is losing the locker room, whatever. But the the sequence of the comments coming out, a lot of times the coach is going to say, no, there's not an issue, and try to handle it in you know in house if possible. So I don't think that you know that it really is showing that much about this USC team. Yeah. Someone asked, do you think USC will be able to beat uh, Washington State on Friday? They're favored. Yeah, by four and a half, which is a little surprising. USC is one or like three, 13 and one or something in the last 17, I think, something like that. Uh, against the spread, it's been pretty bad. The over three this season, um, I would not be taking USC and laying four and a half points in this one. Washington State's undefeated. Same sort of thing. They have, uh, you know, not the greatest schedule in the world, but, you know, Eastern Washington team that can put, you know, throw the football over the place. Their defense is a lot improved. Yeah, they lose Alex Grinch to Ohio State. And oh, I forget the, the guy that came in, but he, they've been doing really good on the defensive side of the football. Uh, been impressed with that. They got uh, Connor Minshew, right, uh, from East Carolina, I think he was the quarterback, Chancellor from. So I'm trying, I hopefully I got my Washington State stuff right here. But yeah, the, they look like a, a legit team. Uh, you didn't know what they were going to happen with, you know, you know Luke Falk moving on. And unfortunately with the, you know, Holinsky and all. I mean, that was obviously a terrible situation. You don't know what kind of, uh, what, how that's going to affect the team morale. But it seems like it hasn't affected it too much. They're doing okay. Uh, it seems like they did the right amount of remembering and, and doing all that kind of stuff for him and, and not make it so it's a burden on the season the whole time. So uh, we'll see how that kind of goes forward. But this is a legit team, and USC is coming in licking their wounds after a really tough, you know, road trip uh, to Austin. So, yeah, I mean, I, USC's favored, but you know, don't, don't be surprised. If, I didn't really think Washington State was going to be a threat. I thought it was going to be more Arizona. But I think Washington State's a threat now. I think it's one of those games where it's not about them, it's about us yep. type of games. If USC plays their potential, obviously they'll win this game. They have better talent than Washington State. But they have to show they can run the ball and run the ball against Washington State because Washington State's going to want to throw the ball 50 times. And if you do that, your defense is going to get worn out. And it becomes that old, old age concept of, oh, if we wear the defense out enough, then in the fourth quarter we can take advantage. USC, if they don't run the ball, they get in the same thing. Even though they've shown they have a little bit more depth on the defensive line, I think it still, you know, it still shows that, you know, that they still need to be able to take care of that and be able to handle it rather than, you know, try to rotate eight guys in all the time. They don't have enough confidence in those third-string guys already yeah. to, to be able to play at the first-string level. So I think they need to take care of the ball and control the tempo because that's going to be huge against Washington State. Joseph, Joseph says Matt Leinert raised a good point last night. Why didn't Helton establish the run knowing that the te Texas defensive coordinator loves to blitz? So why isn't Helton trying to run the ball? What are you talking about? They, they, they really tried to run the ball. They ran it once, and then they ran it again, and they scored a touchdown, and then well, they didn't run it again for a while. But they ran it every once in a blue moon, basically. Yeah, this is a thing kind of on Twitter. We talked about this on the emergency podcast. So someone tweeted me and said, you realize that USC ran the ball after after uh, Stephen Carr's 23-yard touchdown on the first opening drive. He said USC threw nine straight passes in a row after that. And I went back and looked. It was actually eight, but it was 10 of the next 11 plays after the 23-yard touchdown run were passes. So obviously at that point, it wasn't like the run wasn't working. Someone tweeted me, oh, they couldn't run up until that point. They had one run before that. It was a you know stopper three-yard loss. 23-yard run, and then they just went away from the run. So your best run 
of the night, you know, more obviously more yards than you ran for the whole night. After that, they abandoned the run. And the entire first half, USC had six possessions. In five of them, they had the lead. The first one, the only time they didn't have the lead is when they got the ball first. So it was, it was zero, zero. They had the lead the whole time. They ran 28 passing plays and only 10 running plays. So at that point, it wasn't like USC couldn't run the ball. It wasn't like they were down. And Clay tried to address that a little bit on the show, saying they want to be balanced, but um, you know, once you get behind. But that's that's kind of bull, like you were saying too, Keely. They were up the entire first half, all of their plays. There were 28 passes and 10 runs. They didn't try to run. They weren't trying to do that. And then later on, obviously, it was out of hand. So, yes, I think it was a, a terrible game plan to have six cares, carries for Stephen Carr, four for Aka Cedric Ware, and two for I think that was a really dumb plan going in, and they had plenty of opportunities to run the ball more in the first half. I agree with all that. <laughs> you, know, you think that Stephen Carr, you get a 23-yard run on your first runs, you use five other carries for a negative one yards. So, I mean, you're not giving him a chance to succeed, for one, because the offensive line is not blocking. But you're not giving him a chance as in the fact that, you know, they got, what, it was 12 carries total for the 12 carries, yeah. And there was three sacks, so yeah. So there's 51, Shaka brought up, 51 dropbacks in the game and 12 runs by running backs. So that's that's not balanced. I'm not saying you need to be balanced all the time, but you needed to run the football more in a crazy hostile environment with a rookie, uh, with a freshman quarterback. You essentially were treating JT Daniels like he was Sam Darnold going, go out and win this game for us. And that's not fair on him. I mean, he did fine, 320 yards, uh, you know, 30 of 48 or whatever it was. Like, that, he did more than you would expect from a kid like that. But, man, they, they, coaches should never have put him in that position. Even if, the, you know, the pass is working better, at that point, you just kind of let it go. you got to try to run the football a little more. Take some pressure off him. And when you asked the coaches about this after the game yesterday, they essentially said it came down to execution. T. Martin said uh, you didn't really know where the breakdown was going to happen, especially on the offensive line. And you guys kind of mentioned this in your emergency podcast. At what point do you question the game plan if you keep saying our players couldn't execute it? Right. There's, I mean, every game plan isn't built to say, like, if you can consistently do not execute the plan, maybe the plan is flawed. So I think that's what you have to do. It can't just be... Well, they didn't ask what I was going to do. If you if you have this crazy game plan that there's no way that 11 guys can all be on the same page every single time when there's all this other stuff going on, you need to change the game plan. And I, I think you don't see a lot of that. Like, you know what? I've been asking them to do this. It just seems like this is not going to work. For whatever reason, I'm not saying it's they're dumb or it's too hard or whatever, but this isn't working. I'm going to change the plan a little bit. And we haven't seen any of that. They don't want to change their plans. They need to change their plans. Yes. The plans need to change more than... The, t- the players need to execute more. Hashtag change. Yeah. Well, speaking of change, Maria says, if you were coaching, what are the top three, thing- three things you would do to fix this? Do you want to start or do you want me to? Uh, okay. I know <laughs> what number one rhymes is, is to simplify special teams. Yes. And to make it just a basic special team. Don't try to do anything great. Just do the basics. No more hero plays on special teams. Just don't give up more field position. Than you're getting like you you don't need to try to block punts you just you know kick regular field goals punt the ball flip the field whatever you can do you don't need to do all this crazy stuff because you're you're performing well below average with huge dips that turn the game i mean clay helton himself said 
that block field goal turned the game. Stop like stop doing stuff like that. Don't you don't need to do it anymore. Don't let your special teams affect the game in no. that regard. So and cut down practice and special teams. I told him you got to tell John Baxter you get half of what you got now and make it better and fix it. Like that's what I like. If I was a coach, like you've lost all your owning like a third of practice privileges. Like that's what I would say. You don't fire. I'm not advocating firing anyone, but you can't let him run that much of practice anymore because it's the results are not there. Use all your voting privileges yeah. to whoever gets voted <laughs> off the island or whatever reality show we're on. Got a little Pulp Fiction on, you know, like you lost, you lost your LA privileges. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you, you have to cut back on special teams, get that figured out. That's the first thing because you're giving up so much field position oh. with every bad punt or with every penalty that you have on special teams or you know every field goal that you miss. You know that gives good uh, good field position to the opposition. If not points on a blocked field goal, it takes taking the other way. Uh, so that I think that's the first thing. I mean, there's probably more pressing needs than that as far as getting the offense figured out, offensive line figured out. But the simplest is probably fixing the special teams. Just, just, just fix it. You can it. fix it. Yeah. Fix it. And I think too, just going in, and I think that the attitude is about, well, we're afraid of this. We're afraid. Like you can't be afraid of practice. You just have to. Yes, it's very. You just have to go in and say, you know what? Normally on Tuesdays, this is what we do. Okay, well, we're doing all goal line. We're doing like they, Clay Allen said on Tuesday to go heavy run. That's fine. Keep going heavy run, but it's like full contact. We're tackling today. Whatever you got to do. And then Wednesday, when the players get to their locker and they open it up, and there's like just shoulder pads there. They're used to that. There's no full pad. I want to look at their locker and go, oh, it's full pads. Everyone getting out there, we're running goal line again, like just to do something different to get their attention. So I think you can change all of their attitudes by changing what you do. You're in the same routine week after week, and it's week three, and they're already out of it. So you got to do something. The routine needs to change. Definitely. And whatever it takes to do that, whether it's bring in music or bring in a celebrity guest, whatever it takes, do something different. Yes. Obviously, whatever you're doing is not working. Yes. Yeah, I think switch switch special teams, make it shorter. Uh, I would just flip the practice schedule. I could tell you off the top of my head every single period of practice that USC does because they do it so much. <laughs> switch it up. Go one versus ones to start practice. Do something that makes everyone go, oh, okay, we're not going through the motions right now. Um, and Ryan's talked about how he asked players last year about – how different is it when you see full pads in your locker when you come to practice? And they said there is a different mentality that is yeah. set in. And so why not – even if you go thud or even if you go two-hand touch, if you put them in pads, it creates a different mentality for right. the players. They come to the practice field with a different thought in their head. Even if you don't have to tackle to the ground or you're not brawling on the field, you still have that different mentality when you come to practice. So make, make some kind of change. Even if you're going to practice the exact same practice, right. put them in pads the whole time, yeah. even if you're not you know, going to the ground every single play. There's a reluctance to do that, and I have no idea why. I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like it impacts the players or, you know, obviously if it's a health concern or anything, but if you put them in full pads on Wednesday and didn't change anything about practice, you just happen to have, thought, you know, your, your pads on your legs, like that's all. You have pants on, you know, how much would that change things? It shouldn't put any players in any kind of danger and it just would be like oh we're in full pads it's a little harder for me to run whatever it is like you've done that and it's obviously in a game what do you do it you wear a pad who are the you know who's in full pads all the time the kickers 
They're always in full pads. So well, that's that's an argument as they shouldn't go into them ever. Crap. Okay, no more full pads for anybody. Someone wanted to know with how semi-successful the drive against Stanford was with Matt Fink. Should USC had considered putting in Matt Fink against Texas? No, the only thing that was working was JT Daniels, so no. But what they should have done is coach the way they coached Matt Fink. They coached Matt Fink like he was a quarterback. It was like a baby bird, and we were going to like put him in a great spot. Like, let's protect Matt Fink as the quarterback. We're going to run this way. We're going to run that way. We're going to do that. Oh, what well, third and ten? We'll let you run. JT Daniels, they throw out there like he's a like a shooting like he's a duck, and it's like a duck hunt thing. People are shooting out like, hey, go out there and win the game for us. You're the superstar. That's probably a terrible analogy, but they do not treat him that way. If they would run the ball around him and try to protect and nurture the 18 year old kid. I think you would get even better results. But no, they shouldn't have put Matt Fink in. The only thing that worked offensively was JT Daniels. Oh, just a little nurturing. <laughs> just nurtured him a little. They we nurtured were... Matt Fink. That was a great drive for Stanford. They That was coaching around a player. I think now it's like when you have a star quarterback, it's like they're not coaching around him. They're like throwing him out there and letting him play. And also you didn't run the ball at all, and that's what you did with the Matt Fink drive. So if you put him in there, you'd be like, what, what do we do now? Like, yeah. You're supposed to be the one handing the ball off and running the read option. Like, we're not running the ball at all this game. Why are you even in the game? Yeah, I don't know. Keiston wants to know, how does USC fix the running game? Do we pull guards and run power plays? They've tried doing that. They've run different things, and sometimes <laughs> – you know, they'll, they'll pull two guards sometimes, and the back guard will get knocked off, and the front guard will get knocked off, and then all of a sudden it's one guard trying to block three guys or something yeah. on the on the perimeter. Uh, I think the the issue is much more systemic than just a particular type of play. I think it goes down to the mentality of those offensive linemen. They're they're not they're not nasty. They need some nastiness there. I mean, Chuma Doga is sometimes nasty. You saw him at in a really weird. I think it was like 30-14, and he was like jawing back and forth with a with a defensive lineman. You see that sometimes, but you need the entire offensive line as one group, and that's the thing that they're not. Even, you know, they could be super nasty, but right now they're not a group. No. They're, they're five individuals that are trying to make blocks, and if, you know, someone else allows someone to come through, well, that's on them. Yeah. No, think, no one's picking up anyone else. I think the complexity, like adding more complexity, I don't think is going to help because I do feel communication is a real problem, and I talked to – I got a one-on-one with Neil Callaway this past week. So no one, he's, he's you know, not the easiest guy to talk to. And um, it just, it didn't seem like he thought communication wasn't an issue. But I think Clay Helton went back when he talked on the conference call that it's been an issue. And the old adage is it's got to be like five fingers on a hand. Like they all have to work together. And it just seems like you have some talented fingers, but they're not all connected and not working together. So to me, it's more about, you know, communication, making sure everyone's on the same page. When you had four Stanford rushers completely beating six or seven blockers. Like that's, to me, that's a problem. Like it wasn't like they were getting blown off the ball. You could double team most of the guys and they just weren't doing it. It was miscommunication. And like shotgun said in his piece, JT was getting hit within like 2.2 seconds or something. And that's, to me, that's more of a, it's a technique. It's like playing together. It just doesn't seem like, you know, there's, there's a good scheme in place. And that's, that's, I think on the coaching side where they have to fit, shore things up and fix it. So you're saying five fingers make a fist, but USC is more like Ronnie Lott's fingers, like turned sideways or something. One of them amputated. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Apparently there's something, some issues there is what you're saying? Yeah. He, if you, you're Ronnie Lott. 
had his finger amputated in the middle of a game so he could keep playing. So that was that was insane. There's nobody on this USC roster. You see, like, old football players, though, it's like, I, you know, you play Nagel. baseball. Like, I've had a few fingers pop, the could pop, pop in and stuff. But those guys, like, football players, they're mangled fingers all the time. Pete Carroll's are all over the place. Like, it's pretty crazy. His nose is all jacked up. Yeah, football's a tough sport, man. That's gross. Um, Hugh had an interesting question. He said, when's the last time that USC fans could brag about USC's offensive line? Oh. When Mac Lill got drafted in the top ten. No, uh, the Stanford, the second game of the season, Stanford last year. There was there was a lot of bragging oh, going on. Was that, that really? Was a false brag. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, as a whole, as a season. It's tough, you know. It's uh it's really it hasn't been that. I haven't really been putting guys in the NFL as much. Um, who's like uh, with Chad Wheelers? Is he like on a practice squad or something? And maybe uh, at the end of that one year, or Chad Wheeler and Zach Brenner's junior year, when they just destroyed UCLA and they're just running yeah. down their throat. They ran the same play like 47 times in a row, it felt like. And Zach Brenner's just yelling at the defensive lineman from UCLA, like, we're coming here. We're like just telling them what the play is, and they're still funny down their throat. Yeah, I'm there, sure USC fans were were proud of that. Yeah, there've been moments like that. I think there's moments, but there's not like wow, this is a great yeah. yeah. We had multiple people look ahead to Friday and said, "How bad does it get if USC loses to Washington State?" Why do we have to get into that? That's a Thursday question. <laughs> Come on, Keely, that's a Thursday question. It's, I mean. I mean, it's bad right now, right? Like, I had to go ban a whole bunch of people on the message boards. Um, and you, you feel bad. A lot of people made this trip and were really excited about it. But it's low. My sister came out. She's all sad and everything. She flew out from Washington, D.C. to come to a game. Uh, my my goddaughter, who we're staying with here with Kurt, like, she's been to two games. The Alabama game in Dallas and this one, you know? And Ooh, I'm like, we're going to fly her. her. I told her we're going to fly her out for, uh, like, a, a Oregon State game or something, just so she can see USC win. But there's... It, and, it's and not if they lose, then what are you going to do? Is just like ban her from ever? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, if you, yeah. The USC fans probably won't ever let her come back. Maybe an Iron Mask style. It's, it's, it's tough right now because I think we said early in this, before the season started, one and two was a realistic possibility. We thought Texas would be pretty good. They're not as good as we thought. You thought Stanford would be pretty good. Two ranked teams on the road. This is kind of like, I think this feels worse. Than what I thought one and two. I thought one and two was realistic, but this seems worse than it with not scoring a touchdown against Stanford and getting absolutely blown out by a team that lost to Maryland and struggled with uh, Tulsa. Maryland and Tulsa combined for 322 rushing yards against Texas, and USC well, got minus like five. Close to that, right? Yes, close. But, uh, no, yeah, three hundred twenty-seven <laughs> yards behind that. Uh, yeah. You look at the schedule in Texas, who they play. They lost to Maryland. Maryland just loses this week. I think Temple was. Uh, so you look at it like this is a very winnable game. Yes. This is not a very – I don't think this is a very good Texas team. No, not a very good Texas team. A lot – you even heard people after that – in the press box, you heard people, well, now they won this game, I think they'll probably go 7-5. and five. If they're lucky, they'll go 8-4. and four. Yeah. Then Maybe even 6-6. Six and six. But that's the expectations for this Texas team. This is not the Vince Young Texas team. I think it's going to look worse because Texas has a really tough schedule. They have to go to Kansas State, which they haven't won there for like 20 years or something. You know, they got Oklahoma. They got, I mean, there's a lot of t TCU. I think TCU is coming up next. A lot of games that they can lose. Um, TCU gave uh, Ohio State a pretty good run for a while at least. But I, I think it could get – so the question 
We'll talk about it more on Thursday, but I think it can get pretty bad, Keely. It seems worse now than I even thought it would be for one or two. Uh, we're getting to the end of the show, so if you want to get your final questions in, we will answer those, maybe rapid-fire style. Uh, multiple people want to know about Lynn Swan. Do we know how he feels about this? Uh, as you know, Clay Helton is not a Lynn Swan hire. So how? what's the temperature as far as the hot seats goes? I love the way Dan handles this when someone asks him, like, so what did Lynn Swan say? And he goes, who? They're like, uh, Lynn Swan. Yeah, who? The athletic director. Who? Because we don't really hear from Lynn Swan. He is nowhere near as public or as vocal as a Pat Hayden was for all Pat Hayden's flaws. And the more this goes on, the more you see. Um, we just don't really hear from Lynn Swan. He's never been an AD. He's never done anything like this college administration. We have no idea uh, what it's thinking. We hear rumors. The other people think, I think sometimes it's wishful thinking. Uh, he gave him an extension in February. Um, so I, I don't, if for anyone like saying, hey, he's going to fire him in the middle, no, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Max Nikias was actually more present at practices than Lynn Swan has Way been. more, yeah. We Lynn talked Swan, to Dan Weber all the time. I think Lynn Swan, since the beginning of fall practice, if I, my recollection calls correctly, things has been there twice. That's that's a month and a half. A little right. bit more. Been there twice. This is your breadwinner. This is your money maker in the football program. And you've taken the time to come to two practices. Yeah. Um, most people said, should USC already cancel the 2020 Alabama game? <laughs> Seems like a poor, uh, yeah, is it going to be an AT it's AT&T again, right? I think it is. Yes, is I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot of reasons not to play. Uh, just don't go to Texas anymore. Yeah. If, yeah. if you get invited to the Sun Bowl this year, just deny it. Just yeah. like, we're not planning that. If you get invited to the Cotton Bowl, if everything goes better, just like, no, we're not going. Sorry about that. Alamo Bowl, nah. We just, we're going to the Vegas Bowl. We're going to the Holiday Bowl. And really get lucky, we'll go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Do you guys feel like USC's coaches are developing the talent that come into the program? Some are. Yeah, there's some. Some are. There's, there's, there's definitely deficiencies. I think you, you'd like to see at least one or two first-round draft picks from the offensive line. Like, they brought a lot of recruiting classes in, four- or five-star guys all over the place. And you just don't see the guys that, like, Stanford will put in the first round of the offensive line. Stanford brings in similar athletes on the offensive line to USC. Not skill guys. I mean, they'll go find a Bryce Love from across the country and things like that, who's a crazy, you know, super student and, and super athlete. But they'll get the same kind of offensive lineman that USC, they recruit them and, you know, Andres Pete will go to Stanford or, you know, maybe it goes to USC. Uh, but they've developed those guys in becoming first-round NFL draft picks or second-round or whatever, and we're not seeing that from USC. Rob wants to know, uh, do you think USC's coaches are recruiting the right guys for the offensive line? I think it's more of the coaching. Yeah. Now, now, the one thing I would say is within a position group, within an – and overall units of offense or defense, you would like to have some vocal leaders in there. Now, do you have to recruit differently than that? You kind of hope it shakes itself out where, you know, if I recruit, you know, if we're going to get three guys in this class for this position or position group, one of those guys would be firing. You, you would kind of hope that. Uh, but it, it's kind of hard to just recruit just for, you know, emotional fire versus talent. You, you, vote, you recruit talent. And hope you can teach up some of the other stuff. Yeah. But USC has not had, you know, any of those emotional guys in that locker room since Zach Benner has left. And Zach Benner, you know, he carried around 
uh, you know, some animosity with other players in the locker room. So, you know, the way he showed it maybe not, wasn't always the best way. Uh, so can you find somebody that just everyone respects and is like, well, that guy says it, then I got to do it. If Adore Jackson said something, everybody on the team was like, okay, well, whatever Adore says. Yeah. And Adore didn't have to be that fiery guy, but he was so respected that other players just, you know, you know anything he said basically went. Yeah, I think Sam Darren was the same way. He, those guys would have more one-on-one conversations, and you do need a mix of someone that will come in there and talk to everybody. And there, there's just a lot of that lack. There's no Chris Hawkins and there's no Zach Banner and stuff, so – but I don't think I think they recruit the right guys. But you could, like you said, mix in another a guy that's like really vocal too. George wants to know what can USC fans feel good about going forward. Uh, Bayless Jones had a very nice game. Yeah, deep ball catch. This is his first deep ball catch. Amon Ross, St. Brown, in a monster game. Uh, the fact that he showed the wherewithal in that big hit, they took the targeting hit to still. The, the ball pops free. There's a lot of guys that are on this team that probably would have, like, shied away from the ball, pushed the ball away from them after getting that hit. He grabbed the ball, pulls it back in, and still deals with a guy who's trying to, you know, uh, Jump on top. jack him up, basically, to try to take the ball, ball away. I thought he was really good. Uh, there's probably a couple of defenders out there somewhere. Once I watch the tape, they'll be like, those, those guys played well, too. Uh, but besides that, yeah. I mean, I think there's some individual performances. I mean, you you look at a JT Daniels and a Amon Ross St. Brown, those were the five-star guys coming in. Those are the guys everyone said, who's going to have an immediate impact? Those are the two guys, and and they obviously are. I don't know where this offense would be without those two guys right now. So, I mean, those the fact that they're freshmen and they're bright spots, if you can fix some of the other things, that could be really, you know, huge bright spots for USC in the future. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Well, we'll be back again on Thursday. We'll all be in the studio, so apologize for any kind of technical issues while we're doing this remotely here. But um, we've, we've had some great feedback on these shows, and we appreciate that. We'll have some theme music on Thursday. That's yeah. something you can look forward to. I hope it's superhero theme music. Dun, 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 dun. No? No. No. It's like more classic rock. Theme well, but I'm wearing my cape next time, then, yes. I guess. Uh, some, we need some super uh, – USC needs a superhero right now. Right? Yeah. That's the, probably the, the biggest issue there is they don't have a superhero to come save them like Sam Darnold did at times yeah. uh, when he was wearing his cape. But So they need to fix some of the issues. How do you fix issues? Change something. Hashtag change. Hashtag change. Hashtag change. Yeah. <laughs> but I was very impressed with – uh, Austin and everyone that came out. There's a lot of USC fans that were here. Uh, it was really cool. It seemed like everyone got along. Um, it's a great scene. So if you, if you miss this trip, I'm, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people had fun outside uh, of the game. But these are the kind of things, if you're a USC football fan, these are the games you want to go to. You want to go to Notre Dame. You want to go Texas or if they go play Auburn, whatever it is. Those are the kind of things you want to go see a stadium you've never seen before, a bucket list. How many times do you get to see 100,000 people in a stadium? Like, it doesn't happen all that often, so kind of cool you get to do that. So hopefully the fans had a good time that you made it out here uh, despite the uh, the crappy outcome of the game. But if you're a USC fan, instead of the way this game played out, you want to go for one of those those uh, bucket list trips and have Matt Barkley lead the team down. And Joe McKnight's help lead the team to the end zone to win at Ohio State. That's yes. what you prefer. That, that, was, that made it better, you know. <laughs> Uh, for fans, but yeah, that, they didn't get that that here. So fans, we want you to subscribe, follow, do all those things. I want you to tell me the one change, just one. You can only make one change in the comments 
leave it here. The one change, hashtag change or hashtag change you can believe in, one change you would make, one simple change. You can't change everything. You can't just fire every single person. One single change, what would you do? All right. Hashtag, wait, change? Is change that... or change you can believe in. All right. Either or you can say change USC. We Ooh, could, we could look it up on Twitter Good. if people hashtag Hit it. Up on Twitter, any other comment section, hit it up. Yeah. I uh, you say. Ryan, Eric wants to know how the breakfast tacos were today. They were good. What was that place called that we had breakfast tacos, ham something? or uh, It was good. Yeah. We had, uh, I love the Twitter outrage when you like post a picture of food you ate. Oh, you're doing it wrong. You should have ate here. And I was like, shut <laughs> up. Like, I'm going to eat where I want to eat. Like, was the best. Yeah, it was good. Wait, which one? Perla. Perla. Yeah, we just went to Perla last It was fancier tonight. tonight. Yeah, and uh, that was good. So, I don't know. I, I, I tweeted about that. We'll see if anyone's outraged uh, that I ate there. I can't believe you ate there. Uh, but, you know, we had, like, Ruby's barbecue, and they're like, oh, you shouldn't go there. You should go here. It's like, whatever, dude. We're, you know, we're doing what we want. Congratulations to the Austin food scene for the fact that there's so many places that have a line outside of it, which lets you know if the place is good. Yeah, it's good, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we're getting a flood of changes. And a lot right, of I'm looking want forward to reading all these later. I will be uh, throwing these into to one of my articles later. Nice. Interesting. Okay. okay. One thing. One thing. Just one. One thing. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, it is a short week, so we will be out on the practice field tomorrow, Monday. Uh, so look forward to that content. But as always, thank you guys for watching. Be sure to subscribe on all our platforms, Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook. And we'll see you guys on Thursday.